so we're gonna do a recap last week real quick. And um, this isn't a really long study, but it's pretty good. And, and uh, we're gonna talk about working out your salvation. I sent that out on the thing. What does it mean to work out your salvation? It kind of sounds antithetical to what we've been talking about. Talking about how salvation is a free gift from God. But how do you work out your salvation? So the recap is this. We went over Christ emptying himself. And we discovered what Paul meant when he said that he was emptying himself or Christ had emptied himself, right? So it's a Jesus as the perfect example of humility, right? And this explanation of Christ emptying himself gives us the opportunity to discuss the nature of Jesus Christ as fully God and fully man or what we call the hypostatic union. So he is fully both, right? Um, and it's vitally important that we as believers who claim that we know Jesus Christ, that we know Jesus Christ, we know the right Christ. Because there's a lot of people that say, I'm a Christian, but they might not know who Jesus really is, right? So it's just important that we know. And we talked about in Matthew 16 how um, Jesus talked to his disciples and he was asking this question of them. Who do you say that I am. So it was obviously important to Christ, right? And because of Jesus Christ's extreme humility, going from being God and coming down and being uh, man, uh, the lowest form, right, for the divinity is, he becomes the sacrifice for our sin, um, but he ends up exalting himself, right? So we talked about how God uh, exalts Jesus Christ and bestows upon him what has, in his words, the name above Oh, man. Yeah. Right? So, Christ humbled himself for us, and we take that example and do our best to humble ourselves before him. We humble ourselves before each other, and that also we find our jo joy in knowing that, in, that our faith lies in the one true God who every knee bows before. So, this is, we talked about the epistemological debate this morning. What is truth? Well, if he is the name above all names, and if all me will, will bow before him, that is the God that I am going to follow, right? So we have assurance of our salvation. So this morning we're going to read out of Philippians 2. We're going to do verses 12 through 28. So turn there with me if you would. And we'll do Philippians 2, verse 12 to <clears throat> 28. So Philippians 2, starting in verse 12, Paul writes this. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, here it is, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be poured, <clears throat> excuse me, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you. So there's rejoice again, there's joy. I'm glad and rejoice with you. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So there's our joy. So we're going to see this twice this time as our theme 
for this book is going to be joy, joyfulness, and rejoicing, right? So first we look at the transitional word here, therefore. And we've talked about that. What's the therefore? Therefore, right? Because Christ emptied himself. So that's the last thing we covered. So because Christ emptied himself, because of his perfect humility, because he exalted his name of all names, because every knee will bow before him, therefore, every tongue will confess his name. Therefore, be obedient, right? It's a bit of a, tif- of a tough concept, I think, as a contemporary church, as contemporary Christians, to kind of get this. We don't like to hear the word obey. It's a really tough thing. I kind of had this um, little debate with this thing uh, online uh, this morning, and I replied because one of the things they'll say is, well, religion was just created to get people to follow in line and to obey. Well, that's pretty antithetical to the gospel because, as we know, out of the 12 original disciples, one fell away and, and murdered himself. And that out of, you know, we have Paul come into the story. Eleven of them, we know from church history at least, as much as we have been able to read, that they are martyred for their faith. That they go against what the government and the populace would have for them. They believe until the point they are dead. Not that we should not be obedient to our government, but we do not fall in line with a fallen world in a way to be obedient and submissive to just what the world is doing so that we are like sheep. We are like sheep to only to Jesus Christ and we follow him. The world is going the other way and they hate us for it. So this word obedience, we need to, we need to work out. It's not quite that simple, right? Um, and we also, in contemporary Christianity, like this idea of using this concept that says that Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. That's, that's not true. It's not a relationship, not a religion. It is a religion. If you have a chance at some point in your studies, read the Sermon on the Mount, right? Read Matthew 6, 7, and 8. Christ is like sitting in front of all these people. They are fed, and he's like, do these things. That's religion. That's practice. It's orthopraxy. How you practice your religion. Be kind to one another. Love one another. Give to one another. Those are all the way we practice our faith. That is religion. Religion is believing something and exercising it. Is it a relationship with Jesus Christ? Yeah, absolutely. But the idea that you can have a relationship without practice. (laughs) Imagine if your marriage was, I love you very much and I'm married to you, but I'm not going to come home and hang out with you or do the dishes or the laundry. I'm going to go hang out with my friends and do what I want. You're going to be at home being a good wife, mother. I'm just going to go do my own thing. But it's okay because we have a relationship. That doesn't make any sense. There has to be practice in order for the relationship to work, right? And we know that on his side, he has already practiced that relationship. His son emptied himself, became humble, lowered himself, and was crucified for us. Our obedience is the other side of that, right? So we are obedient to him. So the reality is that we do practice our religion, right? Paul makes it clear it's not about impressing anybody, a religious leader, a pastor, people in your church, your neighbors. It's obedience because we love Christ and we want to follow his precepts. We want to do, in air quotes, the right thing. And we've gone through a lot of these things and how we exercise our love. And then Paul's going to tell us to work out our salvation. All right, now we need to get into this. This is tricky. How can we work out our salvation? How do we play a role in our salvation? How does what you do play a role in you being saved? There's a a lofty question. What do I got to do to be saved? 
Well, nothing. You can't do anything. So there you go. That's the short answer. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. It's only God. It's only his work, right? So we, in Ephesians, we went over this. In Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, we built the recipe for faith. Paul gave it to us. It says, for by grace, you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. So nothing that you did saved you. It's a gift from God and not as a result of your works so that no one can boast. And that's the great equalizer. Because if you were able to work for your faith, and we kind of talked about this morning over coffee, like other religions and how do they look, every single other religious practice in the world has something to do with a person doing something to get to the next step, the higher power, becoming more like the divine, becoming more complete or being saved. Christianity is the only religion, and the only religion that's true, but the only practice that says God came and did the work that you could not do. Because in any other faith, if you're able to work, then who's to say what the standard is? I gave more money than you. I gave to the poor more than you. I loved more than you. I exercised my faith better than you. Well, then what is the standard? Who gets to go? I'm the guy who wore the suit to church for 50 years before I died, so I get a better place in heaven. You know, we, if, if it worked that way, then some people would make it off from their own merit. Well, what's the standard? This is why Christ is the standard and we can't reach it. But that's good news, right? Because then Christ comes and says, I love you and I want to take you home with me. I'm going to do the work for you, right? Romans 8.3 says, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So the work is all God's. He sent his son in the flesh. Romans 9, 16 says this. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. And that is the key. He is merciful towards us, right? So we also know Paul is speaking explicitly in this case to believers, which is important. And so work out your salvation so he's not talking to non-believers and saying hey you can work out your salvation he's he's talking to us for all sitting in this room and paul was here he'd be like you need to work out your salvation well but i'm already saved how do i work out my salvation if i'm already saved that's what he's saying right why do they need to so let's look at this so in thayer's lexicon he defines this term work out what does it mean to work out really what it says is to do that which something results to do something that results in some sort of progress, to work to obtain your salvation or things that bring about a result, right? So out of our humility, this is the theme here, the therefore, out of humility, we are working and striving towards what looks like salvation. From our salvation, we are working in humility to be obedient towards Christ. And it seems like this may be impossible task here as Paul asks us to do it with fear and trembling. I mean, it's like, he says, you're saved and you're already saved. Now I want you to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. I want you to be so afraid that I want you to continue to work towards your salvation. But this fear isn't a fear of losing your salvation, but it's a fear, it's a reverence of God, trembling like we may be in the presence of the Father. So it's like, I know that I'm saved. I'm thankful that I'm saved. And I'm going to work like a person who is saved out of my salvation in a way that reverences 
the God of all creation. He created everything. He saved you. I am thankful for that. He's an amazing God. If, if we have a chance and you and I sit and talk for a long period of time, I will give you all of my darkest secrets and you will find that he saved me out of a super, super dark place. Purely satanic, chalked, and I've told you, I'm not afraid to tell you, like out of the worst drug and alcohol abuse, I was a, an absolute moron and I was headed in the wrong direction. And it is purely miraculous that I was even able to see. And it is because of God's work in me, not because of anything I've done. And now that I am saved and I have that faith and hope and joy in me, I work out of that salvation in reverence to him, out of my humility for what he has done. That is how we work out our salvation. So as we are working out, God is working in, right? So we are working out, God is working in. And that is how we become more humble and more obedient. This is what Paul tells us. It's God who's working in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. Think about this. There's somebody who's not saved in your circle. You are so obedient, so loving, working your fear and troubling, working out your salvation that somebody around you is like, where's all this joy coming from? Why do you go to church on Sunday? Why are you the person that you are? And you're like, Jesus, that's the answer. You give them your testimony. You tell them about Christ. And God willing, the Holy Spirit enters them. They are saved. This impossible task, this thing that we cannot do that God does in them brings us joy. But what does it do most importantly? It glorifies the Father. The work that He has done in you, you get to take part in and it reaches other people and it glorifies Him more. And it's almost like He goes, look, look what I did in you. What I did in you reaches them. That's you working out your salvation. What I'm doing inside of you to make you more humble, trying to look like my son, you are reaching the people in your family. You are teaching your kids. You are loving your wife. You are loving your spouse. You are loving your extended family and your neighbors. And you are reaching them for me. And that brings him joy. It brings him glorification. He does it to, to glorify himself. He allows us to be a part of the redemption story of the salvific story. This is us working out our salvation, right? The spirit dwells in us and is working on our heart, on our spirit, on our desires, on our tenderness and our willingness to break away from the world and go into it as strangers and work in it. I like this quote. I, I, I use his name quite a bit, but C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, right? He says this, some professors appear to have imbibed the notion that the grace of God is a kind of opium with which men may drug themselves into slumber and their passion for strong doses of sleepy doctrine grows with that which it feeds on. God works in us. They say, therefore, there is nothing for us to do. Bad reasoning, false conclusion. God works, says the text. Therefore, we must work out because God works in us. This is the result. This is the, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. God saved me, I'm good. I can go in and out of church on Sunday or not. I can do what I want. I'm saved, I'm a Christian. I've got a tattoo of a Christian verse on my shoulder or my arm. I, I'm good, I'm saved, I'm safe. 
what Spurgeon is saying here is that is sleepy doctrine. It's like opium. You've got it in your head that everything's okay. Well, God is saying everything's not okay. I am working in you. And he's a God that produces results. And if I am working in you, then what reciprocates is you working. It's you doing stuff out of your salvation. You are loving, treating people well, caring for, serving people, starting with your family and then making your way out in concentric circles. This is the Christian walk. This is working out our salvation. We must work out because God works in, right? It's a beautiful way to look at the way God gives us, as I mentioned before, the ability to take part in his plan for us is to be a part of his salvific plan to reach other people. It's an opportunity, right? He does all the saving, but he gives us a role. He gives us a role, right? And you've heard, probably heard me say this before, but I never liked the empty ideas of getting commands that don't have like, like, go do this, go love your wife. Um, what, like, how? I don't know how. If nobody told me how to love my wife, I wouldn't know how to do it. And I, I bring this up because it's a bad idea. Carol and I are on the cusp of divorce at one point in time. We were going to a phenomenal church with phenomenal teaching and great things going on. We just ended up with a bad counselor. Like we walk into church, like our marriage is falling apart. We don't know what to do. And the answer was, go read your Bible together. Okay. I don't know what that means. Like, where do we start? Do I start in Genesis? It seems like a weird place, but I don't know. I don't know where to go. Can you give me more than that? And he didn't. So I think it's better than empty results is tell me how to do something. What does it mean, right? I want a definitive answer. I'm plan oriented, like you guys, most military guys. Like if I have a, I want a plan. I want to know where we're going, when, how we're going to get it done. I want to be properly trained before I get there. I want to know what the outcome is supposed to be. And if we get in trouble, how do we get out? If somebody gets hurt, how do I fix it? Like all the parts of the plan I want to have. If something adjusts, most of the plan is so good that I can make minor adjustments or even minor easily, right? And so I want those things be plan oriented. So Paul is going to really lay out some heavy practical lessons for us here to help us understand how do you work out your salvation and all the things that we do in service in humility, our obedience, how we study the word of God constantly all the time. Like you have to get into the word, our love for one another. This is all part of it. All these things should be done, how? Without grumbling and without dispute. We are joyful Christians. We do all these things out of joy. So, this is what I've found. Here's how we find out the practical side. This is how, my recipe, if you will. The practical way of get, to get your joy going. Read the book. <laughs> I can't say it enough. Read the book. The Theonoustos. Let the Holy Spirit pour himself over you. There's a physical pouring out of the Spirit when you read the book. Read first thing in the morning and pray. And while you pray, thank God, number one, that you have a Bible. There's a lot of places in the world where nobody's got the book. Nobody's got the Word of God. Nobody owns it. There's a lot of places that do, but there's a lot of places that don't. I know in communist China, you can get rolled up and put in prison if you have a single page out of the Bible. The Pashtun region, they will just cut your head off if you have a single page out of the Bible. It's the most unchurched region of the world is the Pashtun region. Less than 2% believers in that region. So thank God you have a Bible. Thank God for giving you his word and for saving you. Find a study in the word of God that challenges you to continue to read and continue to read and continue to read. And we can find 
all things uh, we need to work in our lives through that word, right? In these moments, try to find things to be thankful for. So when you get up and you read in the morning early, and you read that book, it's like, I'm thankful that I have the book. I'm thankful you gave me the book. I'm thankful for my salvation. Help whatever I'm going to read today produce some sort of work, joy, or love in me that extends to my wife, extends to my husband, extends to my children, extends to the people that I'm about to work with throughout the day. And my encouragement is, and it is, I think is what has worked best for me is, where I'm reading right now in the Word of God, other than my studies for school, is what we are studying. It just seems relevant. Because the more I read it during the week, even if it's the same four or five verses, and I can just, I'll read a little before and a little after for context, but it's what's relevant for what we're going to talk about on Sunday, and we'll discuss more over coffee. It's what God is pouring into our church group right now. So why not just read that and let that pour over us, right? God knows that unbelievers around us are not going to make it easy on us, and that's okay. It's okay that people around us aren't going to like it. This fallen world's not going to make it easy on you. As blameless and innocent children of God, we'll assuredly stand out in what Paul calls here a twisted and crooked generation. And that's why Paul tells us we are the light. You're the light of the world. We stand out. As believers, it's that whole idea, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb. When you're light in the darkness, people see it. If you're out in the woods and you turn on your, you know, 90 degree angle moonbeam hung off from your LBV, everybody sees it. That's the reality of being a Christian, right? You will stand out. The world will see you. You will look different. You will bring light to the world. Imagine the impact our light can have on a world that is lost in the dark. Consider this for a second. Jesus, Paul, they refer to the world as darkness. They refer to being saved as light. If somebody's in a room and it's dark and they don't know where the door is, they don't know how to get to the door. When you turn on your light and say, I know the way and I can show it, you are helping them find that. That is what light does. It shows them the way out of the darkness. And Technically, Christ is the light of the world. So we're showing them Christ, right? Imagine the impact our light can have on a world that is lost in the dark. As we hold fast to the word of life, the word of life, which is the gospel, people will see your light and the impact salvation will resonate with those people. Because people will ask you, if you're in a room that's dark and it's full of people and you turn your light on, people will ask, where did you get the light? How do you have that? Why do you have that? What is that light that you have? This is the contrast of light and dark, right? Paul also reveals a little pastoral pride, if you will, in Philippi. As you know, he's like the guy who's the progenitor. He's coming. He's bringing the gospel to these people. Their obedience, their love, and their service has been done without grumbling. Their strength and holding fast to Christ, it helps him to feel as if his ministry was not in vain there. And this is, I'll say, you know, any pastor of a church that's been beaten close to death and imprisoned like Paul would like to know that his flock has developed in their faith. Like he's poured himself out to the point where he's been beaten almost to death numerous times. Now he's in prison. He'd like to know that they go, he loves us enough that he continues to do this. And his pouring out as a drink offering is not about his future martyrdom, about pouring himself out to death, but it's really an explanation of his sacrificial ministry right? He's poured himself into them. 
And he recognized the sacrifice of the faith of the believers that are toiling in the truth there in Philippi. In this, Paul rejoices, and he encourages all of them to rejoice with them, with each other, and with him. The sacrificial service that Paul's referring to, the service that believers do, is a priestly service. So people who are believers, who are saints, conducting a priestly service, pouring themselves out for each other, loving one another, and being joyful in that. Paul calls the Romans to the same type of service when he uh, calls them in Romans 12. And he says this, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is what we do when we bring the light to the world. The world isn't going to like it. We're going to go flip that light switch on and be bright among them. And people are going to be attracted to it for basically... Well, one of three things happens. People will go away from the light. They don't want to see it. People will be attracted to it like a bug lamp. They want to come to it and try to destroy it, right? Because they hate it. And then other people will come to it because they will see hope. So that's essentially what happens. And that is your priestly service, is to be that light always, right? Part of our worship. So this is the purest worship that we have, to become a living sacrifice through our service. When we sacrifice for our spouses, for our kids, and for one another, it's the most pure sacrifice they're going to have. And I want to close with a verse that's taken from Peter's epistle. Let me read this for you. From 1 Peter 2, in verse 9, it says this. Peter wrote, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a, royal, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. We friends are a royal priesthood we are called for this work right you were all called to the military to do a work to keep, make the world a better place you were called by christ to be a light to the world sacrificially right the world is wicked it is twisted but you are a light in the darkness of it that's what you were called for god has chosen each one of us in our own ministry in our own ways and you might not feel like it sometimes you might feel like i don't have a ministry because you don't have maybe a church building or a sign, or you don't have like, well, I'm not like feeding the homeless today. That's okay. That's not the truth. The world might be stacked up against you, which it is. Your finances might be tough. The babies might not be sleeping all the time. The school system might be fighting you. They might be fighting your kids. And when the news is nothing but war and rampant sinfulness, we still have our own ministries. We all still have a ministry that we are called to. Not everyone's gifted to preach or teach. Not everyone has a lot of money to give. But everyone who is saved has the Holy Spirit living inside of them. Every person who is saved has the God of all creation living inside of them. Every person who has confessed Christ with their lips has the power to change the world living inside of them because it is God who dwells in you. Because you can share that love of Christ with someone. Most of us in, the, in here have family that we can love and show Christ's love to. That is your first ministry, loving your wife, loving your husband, loving your kids. That's ministry. That's where it all starts. And we all have a church family. We all have in here to love one another. And when someone has needs, we meet those needs. That's sacrificial ministry. That is a ministry. Don't leave here thinking you don't have a ministry. This is where Paul found his joy. Right here in the ministry of the church. He's pouring himself into it. And this is where we, believers, friends, we can find our joy. Find your own little ministry. Work on that. My wife and my kids. My husband and my kids. 
Realize the impact you're making for the kingdom. You will leave a legacy. You will leave a legacy. It will be a good legacy or it will be a bad legacy, but you will leave a legacy with what you do and what you share. Realize that what you do has kingdom impact. Realize that sharing Christ with your kids leaves a legacy of hope for them. Realize that by joining together here as a church family and loving one another, that you are lifting somebody else up in this group. Because as you know, people have come in here who need prayer for something. In their marriage, with their kids, with the school system, with their work, they need your prayers and you lift them up by being here in a way that you might not even realize. And remember that when we started this study, I said we need to realize a difference. there's a difference between happiness and joy. Joyfulness is the overarching theme here. So what's the difference between happiness and joy, right? Happiness is a feeling you get, a sensation of satisfaction, and joy is realization of the hope of Jesus Christ, right? Paul finishes out this section um, that we're reading, and he says, likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me, right? Believers should be glad and rejoice with him. So we can be happy, actually happy, and find joy in our ministry, For me, the best example that I can give you of this is like my kids. When you share Christ with your kids and your kids are baptized, it makes you happy. But it also brings you joy. And it should make you happy. It brings joy because I know that the hope of Christ no longer just lives in me. It also lives in them. And for them, they get eternity with Christ. No matter how much I mess up, it doesn't matter because Christ has them saved. Worry not me, he is the truth and he has saved them. That makes me joyful. But you know what else? That makes me really happy. It makes me happy to know that they are safe. It makes me happy to know that they are loved. It makes me happy to know that I am a failure in so many ways and he is not a failure in any way ever. He will succeed. No matter how bad I mess up being a parent, He is going to be a perfect father. No matter the words that I use in raising them that I've used incorrectly, out of place, out of timing, whether it's been too mean or too soft or just not hitting the mark, that in him is perfection. And when they believe in him and they go home to him, they will realize he is a good, good father. And he has done everything perfect because he humbled himself and came for us, sacrificed himself, so that he can sit on the throne with this. The world is his footstool and everybody will bow before him. <clears throat> Joining together in faith makes us happy. This should bring you joy. Father, we are thankful for you. We are joyful together as a church family. We are happy together as a church family that we may be able to share our resources that we can look forward to upcoming ministry opportunities to serve people, that we can look forward to just being caring of one another in any needs that may arise, we are thankful, Lord. We are thankful that it is you that does the work and not us because we could just simply not come up with the right ways to serve one another. It is you, Lord, that that presents the means. It is you, Lord, that presents the opportunity. And it is up to us, Lord, to joyfully respond to you. And we are thankful for this group. We are prayerful for those who were not able to make it today. And we just ask, Lord, that you would protect them and guide them throughout their week. 
And we'd ask that you bless all of our families richly. That moms and dads in this room would realize their first ministry is one another. That they will leave a legacy of hope for their kids. And that they would do so happily and joyfully. And we're thankful for you, Lord, and for your sacrifice on the cross. And we pray all of these things in the name of our precious and holy Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.